Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. Well, it's so good to see you guys again. Um, I was just here a couple weeks ago for the picnic, which was delightful. I really enjoyed being here for your picnic. It did get a little toasty there <laughs> during the, the word, but um, it was nice to have the sun shining on us. And it's still been beautiful. I really love that. Well, um, like Israel said, my name is Kathy Spalding. I'm on the um, team of teachers that comes to, to teach. And um, when we picked uh, Cameron, um, I've said this before, but Cameron talks about, or he prays and, and decides on what we're going to be speaking about throughout the year. And then as the um, team gets together, we say, oh yeah, I have something to share about that. And and I didn't honestly pick today's topic. It was kind of picked for me. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to talk about sex. Now, I'm the last one to talk about this um, You've had four. We've had four weeks that just talking talking about sex, and you know the world talks about it every day, all the time. If you watch the news or watch commercials, or it's everywhere. So um, the church, New Day feels strongly that we need to talk about a healthy um, perspective on sex in our churches, and so um, we regularly will, like once a year, talk about it, or I don't know how often, but anyway. So uh, the topic, actually, I when it first was written down what I would speak on, it said paying for sex. And I was like, whoa, wait a second here. And I texted Cameron and said, um, what did you want me to talk about? And, um, and so then we we had a chance to talk and and just some of the things that I've experienced, um, we changed it to the cost of sex. So the first slide, you can go ahead and turn it to, is just what is what does the Bible say about sex? And the first thing I'm going to talk about is how sex is good. When you do it God's way, um, in Genesis 1.28, God instituted it. He said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, the only way we can do that is through sex. And so God put it right there in the beginning of the book. This is how it's going to happen. But then he goes on later, and there's lots of scriptures, but I just picked a few, um, that we are to enjoy it. In Proverbs 5.19, it says, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. In another translation, it says, May you always be captivated by her love. And in yet another one, it says, Be thou ravished always with her love. Now, all three of those versions say it's a good thing, you know? It doesn't say it's a a chore that has to be done. It says it's a good thing. And then we have the book of the Song of Solomon, which actually is a poem that celebrates married life. Now, um, I was reading a commentary about about Song of Solomon because there's just too much in there to talk about. I mean, I could read the whole book and there would be my sermon. But um, in in what's interesting about all the books in the Bible— except for two, all specifically talk about God. They specifically, you know, are directly talking about God and our relationship with him and our relationship with others as it pertains to God. But 
Um, the book of Esther doesn't, doesn't come right out and say it, and neither does the Song of Solomon. So then you're like, well, why did he bother to include it if it doesn't specifically give reference to him? And this commentary, I love this. It said, this book provides an explanation of how God created male and female to live in happiness and fulfillment. People are sexual beings. God ordained marriage in Genesis 2.25 when man and woman become one flesh. So it's a book that gives us an idea of what a marriage is supposed to be like. We're supposed to enjoy one another in a marriage. So the benefits of sex inside of marriage is that we get to honor one another through that. And and what's really interesting is um, I had an opportunity to witness. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings. I'm a little bit older now, so I've had a chance to attend a lot of weddings. And I have seen plenty of people get married who I, I didn't know anything about their history or their past before they got married. But this one couple a few years ago, they were getting married. And I knew, without, I mean, I didn't, I knew like 99.9% sure that both of them were pure when they got married. And when I um, witnessed the wedding, when I was there, there was an innocence about the two of them that I didn't ever have the opportunity. I, no, I gave up that opportunity to have when I went to the altar. And um, the first time I was I was living with my ex when we when we got married, and so I didn't ever experience that innocence going to the altar with that innocence, and so I saw this couple get married, and the innocence that they had was it was it was breathtaking and it was it it did something inside me. I just was like wow, to be able to see that, but then to see them weeks later, I realized that they still had that innocence. There was still an innocence about them, even though they had had sex with one another. And I, and I think about Adam and Eve, they were innocent until they ate of the fruit. You know, they were standing naked and they were unashamed. And, and so there's an innocence that I believe that you can hold on to when you are pure before you get married. And then you, and even though you're having sex, that there's a purity and an innocence that's maintained. Um, but that only comes within a marriage. And then there's a blessing from God. In Proverbs 26 through 7, it says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The righteous lead blameless lives, and blessed are their children after them. And so I believe that there's also a blessing that you can pass on to your children when you have that, when you have stay sex with inside of a marriage, that you pass that on to your children. And lastly, God says that it's our responsibility to fulfill our spouse. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, it says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we are supposed to fulfill our spouse in the marital bed. Now, when it's not done God's way, um, 
I actually looked to two, two places. One is I looked at the Bible. What does the Bible say about what happens when you have sex outside of marriage? And then I looked at psychology, not Christian psychology, but psychology. What does it have to say? So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, to flee from sexual immorality, all other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Um, so we, in, in this commentary um, I read, this guy named DeMuth said, we prove that our true allegiance is to ourselves. Our desires are not Christ and his kingdom. So when people are sexually immoral or when they're having sex outside of marriage or, um, or while they're married having sex or adultery or whatever, that they're really showing that their true allegiance is to their, themselves and not to God. And, um, and then I read another, uh, um, an interesting, well, it was sad, but an interesting um, Christian um, author who was saying that um, people read that whole part about the adulterer being forgiven, and so they think that it's okay that, you know what, if I go ahead and sin today, God will forgive me tomorrow. And so within the church that it's rampant, that people are like, yeah, you know that whole grace thing. And, um, and the author said, you know, when you do that, it's like trashing the grace that God gave you. He gave you a free gift, and you are making it worth nothing when you just, you know, just misuse that gift. You know, like, I'll sin today, and I'll get forgiven tomorrow. And then in Ephesians 5.3, it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And so this is really talking about us, the church. When you're in the church, you need to flee from sexual immorality. But what about people who are in the world? I mean, what if they don't know? And so it shouldn't have any effect, right? Sex outside of marriage shouldn't have any kind of bearing on them. Well, psychology actually proves otherwise. I love it when when scientists prove that God's right all along. Don't you love that? When you hear something, you know, God says something, and then you read this study that these scientists did, and it proves that, well, if you did it the biblical way, it would have been better, you know? And this is one of those things. There was an um, MRI brain research done, and, it's, and it basically says that um, sex can either give us wholeness or it can damage us. And it also makes lasting changes in our brain. Actually, the way our brain works, that, um, that sex can actually either damage it or in, enhance it. And so one of the authors said, you know, the um, brain is the largest sex organ. I, I've heard that before. I don't know if you have or not. But, but when, when um, boy, there's young people in here. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, so when... And, um, a climax actually happens, there is three chemicals that are released. The first one, it, it affects men and women, and it's called dopamine. And we, has anybody ever heard of dopamine before? Okay, so sometimes people will talk about dopamine like runners who have a runner's high. Never experienced that, but apparently, you know, there's that runner's high dopamine floods your system, and it, it can give you that push to do the next, I don't know how many miles those crazy, crazy people do. But, um, and in 
the interesting thing about dopamine is it is released in lots of ways. Like I said, you know, runner's high. It can be released with a really deep tissue massage. People um, have experienced, you know, just that, that feeling of really good. Um, but dopamine is not a um, discerner of good or bad. Dopamine can flood your system when something bad happens as well. So thrill seekers, people who do crazy things, they can be flooding their, their body with dopamine. But what's interesting is of all the drugs, so somebody who has an addiction to, say, or somebody who uses um, cocaine, that dopamine is released in one part of their brain. And if somebody, like, uses heroin, that dopamine is released in a different part of their brain. But during sex, that dopamine is released in the entire brain. It floods your entire brain, which is why it can have such a, a, a big effect on people. Now, in women, um, dopamine and oxytocin are released. And in men, a little bit of oxytocin, but more vasopressin? Vasopressin? Is that right, Ray? That's good. Okay. So... Um, What's interesting about oxytocin is that for women, oxytocin is also released when you're nursing a baby, and it creates a bonding that happens. So when you think about it, if, with, if I'm nursing a baby and there's a bonding that takes place because oxytocin is released, when I have sex with my husband, oxytocin is released, causing a bonding effect. Now with men, vasopressin is released, and it does the same thing. Vasopressin released in your body causes a bonding with your children, but it also can cause a bonding with your spouse or your mate. And um, that this bonding is as powerful as the dopamine is, and it's the thing that can cause a couple to mature in their marriage, their love for one another for years and years and years. Have you ever seen a couple that's just so in love and they've been married 50 years? You know, that... That bonding has happened, that chemicals have been released in their brain, and that just unifies them. And um, that's in a good way. In a bad way, <clears throat> when people are having sex outside of marriage, and they have sex with somebody, and then they break up, and then they have sex with somebody else, and they break up, it causes confusion in the brain. Because I was supposed to be bonding with this person, and now I've broken that bond. And now I'm bonding with this person, and I've broken that bond. And then on and on it goes. And it can actually, this is what secular psychology and scientists are saying, have damaging, um, it can damage one's ability to have a lasting relationship because, because of that. And it also can cause an emotional corrosion that removes the human aspect and then sex becomes a raw animal behavior. And what they were liking that to is um, they don't see it as much in women, although it can happen. But if men have um, you know, sex with lots of women, lots of women, lots of women, then eventually they kind of just shut their, they don't have that connection with them anymore. And it just becomes a raw animal behavior. It just becomes nothing. It means nothing. And, and it can happen in women, too, but, um, but that's, that's what it can be reduced to if it continues. So sex outside of marriage um, brings a loss of innocence, 
There's um, you know, knowledge about things that you shouldn't have known about. Um, emotional hurt. You know, mostly what they teach in schools is just about disease and pregnancy. They don't even talk about this emotional thing, which sometimes can be far, far greater, more damaging and far um, longer lasting. Um, <clears throat> damaged relationships. People perform rather than make love. And the guilt is the most associated um, feeling with sex outside of marriage. And they, they surveyed people, not Christians, they just surveyed people and asked them, so what, you know, what about, you know, having sex, you know, how do you feel about it? And the majority, like 90% of the people said, well, I feel guilty. It's like, okay. So there's something innate about us that we know that that's not how it's supposed to be done. And also the majority of people regretted, they wished they had waited, that their first time wasn't wasn't what they had expected, or they should have waited longer before they had their first time. Um, and then there's this, they also found that there is a loss of self-respect and self-esteem. And remember I said that, you know, the Bible says that that's the only sin that you do against your body. And that, um, for me, is what happened to me. When I um, was young, um, I entered into sex with, with um men and and I had different people and I at one point I had such a low self-esteem and so such low self-respect that I thought the only way to keep somebody was to give them sex and then I was I mean I was as guilty of they as they were of using sex to try and have a relationship you know I, I don't know what their reasons were but mine was just to try to hold on and instead I ended up losing which then um caused me to do it again, which doesn't make any sense. It's this vicious cycle. It's like the thing that you're doing is harming you, which is causing you to do it again, which is harming you, which is causing you to do it again. Um, depression and suicide are higher with those who have engaged in, sex, in risky behavior. Um, there's a huge fear of commitment. My um, first husband, we lived together because he was afraid to be married. He was afraid from his past experiences. He didn't want to get married, and so um, we waited several years. And there's negative effects on a marriage later. There can be comparisons and flashbacks, and I have experienced that to some degree, that, you know, I would think about, like, well, maybe because he didn't like me, my husband wouldn't like me, or maybe I shouldn't stand before him this way, or, or I, I'm ashamed, and um, and that that's a real thing that can happen. Infidelity is higher. And I, I loved what this author said. It said, if you don't practice saying no before you're married, it's difficult to say no after you're married. And that's a real thing for some people. They didn't they didn't get that chance to learn how to do that. And then there's a greater chance of divorce because they're so used to breaking up that why wouldn't you just break up? But Wow, that's really a lot, isn't it? That's really heavy. But there's grace. There is grace. Next slide, please. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. And um, Psalm 51.7 says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Can you um, flip the slide? 
And I loved this because for me, you know, we sang in worship today. There was a lot of stuff in worship today. Good job, worship leader, wherever you went. Um, you know, beauty for ashes. And it says, God um, will wash me and clean me. You know, he will make us white as snow. And and I've told you guys this story before. I know I have. But there was a time um, before I was going to marry Ray that... Um, I was. I had read this book. Uh, Cameron had said, "Before you get married again, I want you to read this book, and it's called I Promise You." And a little funny side note: I read it and went, "Okay, never again. I'll never get married," <laughs> um, because it said that you should really. There's things that you should do. There's things that you need to lay down as um, when you get married. And so, anyway, I read the book, and one of the things they talked about was that you need to tell your spouse about your past. And uh, mine's pretty ugly, and I didn't want to do that. And so I was praying, and I had gone and, and, and was, was um, doing counseling with, with a person from church, and, and I was like, you don't understand. I've got so much. I have so much. And, um, and so I was praying, and I was like, okay, God, and I've asked for repentance. I mean, I've repented of all my sins. It's not like I hadn't done that. It's not like I hadn't asked for forgiveness. But in that moment, to, to bear my soul and to say, this is what I've done to somebody who I, who I loved, I, I, was, I was really struggling. And, and so I was praying. And, and so she said, well, just ask God how he sees you. And uh, so I was praying, and, and I just pictured, I was like, God, so how do you see me? And he showed me, me in a white wedding dress, that I have been washed clean. His blood was enough. His blood was enough to allow me to wear white, that an innocence could be restored, not completely, but I could gain what he had, and I could stand before Ray pure and clean. I wore a white wedding dress to our wedding. <laughs> um, and in Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God? So if you have stuff in your past, he can purify your conscience. He can wash that away. And what a promise, you know, what a promise. You know, um, this isn't in my notes. When I was coming here today, I was um, I had read through my notes and then I, I flipped onto Facebook and there was this little story and it really describes where I was right then and it's a story and maybe you guys have all heard it this little story about this little boy who got a slingshot he was at his grandparents' house and had the slingshot and he went out into the woods and he's trying to you know couldn't hit a thing couldn't hit anything he's coming back from the woods he um, sees grandma's duck. And he goes ahead and does the slingshot, and oh my gosh, he hit it and killed it. And so he's like, oh, so he goes, and he takes the duck, and he hides it in the woodpile. And he looks up, and he sees that his sister is in the window, and he sees, she sees, she's seen what he did. So anyway, he goes in the house and um, doesn't say anything. And the next day, they're eating lunch, and the grandmother says, okay, well, you know, tells the sister, come and help me with the dishes. And she says, oh, no, 
you know, little Johnny said he, he wanted to help you with the dishes. And then she goes and whispers in his ear, I saw the duck, or remember the duck. And so he goes and does the dishes. And then later that night, Grandpa says, hey, let's go fishing. And um, Grandma says, well, I need somebody to help me make dinner. You know, she was going to help me make dinner. Sister was going to help me make dinner. And she goes, oh, no, Johnny wanted to help you make dinner. Remember the duck. And on it goes for about a week. And finally, when he's done all the chores for both of them for a week, he can't take it anymore. And in his complete and utter, I, I just can't do this anymore, goes to Grandma and says, tells her everything. And Grandma's response was, I already know. I saw you that day. And I forgave you. I was just waiting for you to come and tell me. How often does the enemy come and whisper to us, oh, what did you do? What did you do? Even though God has forgiven me, I listen to the enemy say, you're not clean. You're not right. You've done these things. So, um, I just thought that was really good, that we just need to go to God and say, okay, God, I know you know this, and I've asked for forgiveness, so how do you see me? And it can, we can be restored. I am not who I once was. I am created a new creation. That's what his promise is. When we come and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he makes us new. That's the promise. Um, the, the story that I want to share with you now, you can change the slide, is the one of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And as I was preparing, so I was preparing for this message, I felt like those things are really good, but a lot of us here in the church already know these things. But the thing that I really felt like God wanted to really impress upon me was that this story of the woman caught in adultery. And so I'm just going to tell you the story. I know you probably know it, but so Jesus is um, teaching, and the Pharisees are always trying to trip him up with something. So they grab this woman out of adultery, or they know she's an adulteress. Now, I don't know if they grabbed her in the middle of an act or, or what they did, but they dragged her to Jesus. And, and, and all the pictures that you see, if you see a picture, she's at, at his feet. And Jesus and the Pharisees say, well, what should we do with her? And Jesus bends down and writes in the sand. And now no one knows, although there's lots of speculation. And the one that I like the most is Jesus writing down all the sins that the Pharisees might have committed. Maybe pride, maybe not honoring their mother and father. Who knows? Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's whatever. He's writing in the sand. And while he's writing, the Pharisees are leaving one by one. And um, when Jesus stands up, he looks at, the woman and says, well, where are your accusers? She says, they're all gone. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, what's interesting is um, someone had shared this with me that, you know, that story, we can, this plays out in our whole life. We can be any one of those characters in that story. We can be the adulteress. Maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it's a different sin. And we need to go to Jesus and say, okay, would you forgive me? But we can, also be the we can also be the Pharisees and pointing out their sin or their sin or their sin. And, um, or we can be Jesus and we can be loving people in 
and loving how he loved and not, um, you know, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And, you know, condemnation, Satan's all about condemnation, like the little girl in the, in the story with the duck, you know, all about condemning you. And Jesus is all about um, convicting us so that we turn, but it's in a loving way. And when I was, when I was um, living with my first husband, I grew up in a Lutheran church. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I also had a lot of people, um, family or other Christians, who were telling me how wrong I was. And, um, you know, it didn't draw me to the Lord. <laughs> there was one woman, you guys know Carrie Miller. Maybe you don't. She's a worship leader at, at Kalamazoo campus. Her mom, Shirley Jackson, um, she was a friend of ours. And I knew she was a Christian. But you know, she never once said, you know, you really shouldn't be living together. She would say things like, you know that Jesus loves you. Do you know that he just wants the best for you? You know, she would listen to me. Uh, you know, at first, I didn't really talk to her, but I didn't share things with her. But as I went on, there was a trust factor like, well, if I tell you this, what are you going to do? Oh, you're not going to accuse me? You're not going to... Oh, okay. Well, maybe if I tell you this. And she, and there was a trust that kept continuing to build with her. So that when I hit the lowest point, I went to her because she, I knew she knew God and she wasn't going to say things that would hurt me. My first son, um, I had a daughter and then I had a son and he died in a car accident. And when he died... There were well-meaning Christians who said, well, if you hadn't been living together. You know, what, what, did that, what kind of picture did that paint for me of what God was like? That, that, I don't believe that, and, and, um, and I've forgiven them, whatever. You know, they, they, they were just trying to, in their way, but weren't they being just like a Pharisee, you know? And so I just would challenge you today that there are people out there in the world that they need to hear the truth, but they need to hear it from God. You know, and, and if they ask, that would be the other thing, is I didn't ask people, like, what should I do? They just told me. And nobody, like, really? How many of us really like people telling us what to do? Like, really? You know? But when you build a relationship with someone and you build up that trust and then when they come to you and say, hey, I notice you're struggling, maybe this, you might be able to receive that. Or if God tells you to give that message to them. But I really, I just want to challenge us in the church, you know, which character do we want to be in the story? Do you want to be a Pharisee or do you want to be Jesus? Is that hard? Okay, you're all like, uh. so we don't want to beat them up with the gospel. You know, the gospel is to give life and to give freedom. You know, it brings freedom. And, it, and we want to love people into the kingdom and let them trans, let God transform them. You know, we don't, we don't really say, okay, if you get all your junk cleaned up, then you can come to the altar and ask God to forgive you, right? We say, hey, come to the altar, and then God forgives. So... Yeah, I had, I had the opportunity to um, become a Pharisee in my own life. 
um, even though <laughs> I had this woman who wasn't, I, uh, I did it with my own kids because I raised them in the church. And my older three are um, not visibly or evidentially serving the Lord that I can see. But they grew up in the church. And so my well-meaning being a mother, I just reminded them of the things that they learned as they were growing up. And um, I managed to drive every one of them away. And um, a few years ago, God said to me, I don't know if you ever watch NCIS, but there's this show on TV, and the guy slaps one of the other guys upside the head, and it's called a Gibbs slap. And that's what God did to me. He slapped me upside the head and said, why don't you love them? I was like, well, I do love them. That's why I'm worried, because they're not doing things in the la, la, la. And he's like, no, why don't you love them? And so I started with just texting, because they didn't answer my calls all the time. And I just started texting with, I love you. I'm proud of you. I think you're amazing. And eventually, it started to sink in, and they would come around and kind of wait for me to, and this summer, all three of them, I have a completely different relationship with them now. And I said something to the oldest one, and uh, she, she was telling me, well, I know that so-and-so said it's wrong for me to do this. And I said, I'm not your judge. I'm going to love you regardless of what you do. And she goes, I know. You've changed. And don't think I haven't noticed. And uh, those little prayer cards that um, Israel was talking about, I've been writing on that prayer card, pray for my kids every Sunday for the last two years. And my son, who's 26, just called me a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, i got to tell you what God's been doing. What? (laughs) He's been going to church faithfully. He's signed up to be part of the setup crew to show up at 6 a.m. on Sundays to set up the church. And then he says to me, and I have realized that my love for you and my girlfriend are like hate compared to how much God loves me. What? You're getting it. And guess what? I didn't do it. Like I, I, beating him up, I, I didn't have to beat him up. He did it like God did it. God drew him. God's going to work on him. And I get to share with him God's love. That's amazing. So I just want to challenge us today. So if you guys would stand with me, I'm just going to, I want to pray two things. One, if there's something in your past that you need to just give over to the Lord and get free from, he wants to do that today. He is, he is that kind of God. Um, if you don't know him, he wants to know you better. I mean, he, he sees everything anyway, and he's just waiting for you to come and say, hey, I, I, want, I want to give my life to you because you've given it all for me. And the second thing is, do you need to maybe repent of your message to others? Do you need to change your, um, your delivery <laughs> to how we respond to those that are in the world and um, we can be forgiven, you know, just like me. I, I, I was a Pharisee, and God fixed it, you know. I, I kind of messed it up, but God, God restored, and he's restored that relationship. And so, so would you close your eyes? Um, so first, Father, I just thank you 
I thank you that you gave your son, who was sinless, to die and pour out his blood so that we could be washed clean, that we could have a relationship with you. I just thank you for that, Father. And today, Lord, if there's anyone here that is struggling with some sin or some some situation from their past, maybe the enemy keeps reminding them of, just ask right now, Lord, that you would just just reveal your love for them. And would you open their eyes to see how you see them? They can be washed clean. Yeah. And Father, I also pray for those of us who may have in our zealousness to see people saved, may have misspoken or misstepped and become like a Pharisee, Lord. Just ask, you know, we repent right now of, of beating people up with the gospel, of our harsh judgments of those that don't know you or haven't experienced your love yet, Lord. We just ask, we, I just ask right now that we would just receive your forgiveness. And Lord, just change our delivery. We see people in the world. Just help us to love on them the way you would love on them. We want to see people experience your freedom, the freedom that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen.